What's up? My name is Dwayne Jones. I'm an artist and the designer and the founder of a lifestyle brand called Art Pays Me. And this is the Art Pays Me podcast. I love talking to creative people about their business, their successes, their challenges, and how they make the world a better place with their work. Let's get into it. Welcome to Art Pays Me. Today we have Stephanie Jolene. So uh, I'm going to be honest with folks. I was nervous to reach out to Stephanie. Uh, and then um, I was like, is she going to say like, no, who are you? Some You're some kind of loser. And uh, <laughs> Do I have the <laughs> reputation of calling people losers a lot? <laughs> well, no, but your reputation precedes you. I think the first time I heard about you was you basically um, saying some 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 stuff to to stand up for yourself. Oh yeah, 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 with the Snoop thing. Yeah, yeah right. So that yeah. gave me the the reputation of being really mean. No, no, <laughs> not at all. It it meant to me that you were too big of a deal to talk to me. That's that's the way I looked at it. Oh, uh, I'm weirdly <laughs> flattered by that but I'm not too big of a deal to talk to anybody. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh, well, I, and also like when I looked at your website and you said that uh, <laughs> uh, you would do anything for uh, attention or whatever, you love getting any kind of attention. I was like, huh, okay. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> that the, home page, <laughs> the home page of my website says, uh, thanks for visiting my website because I love attention of any kind. Yeah, that was, that was very that, true. I really like that, actually, because most people would probably say, like, I don't know, it's it's irreverent, but it tells you who your personality, what your personality is. And it's like it put a smile on my face right away. I was like, I want to know more. So, oh, thanks. I don't take myself too seriously, I think is the point that I'm trying to get across. Yeah, that's, <laughs> especially that's in the filmmaking sort of artistic world. There's a lot of pretension sometimes and there's a lot of uh, I'm a serious artist. And I also tend not to smile like I post a lot of selfies if anyone follows me on social media and I don't smile in my selfies because I feel like when I smile my cheeks look fat so I always like try to do like a sexy like kind of kissy face or something which I think I'm like (laughs) I'm like oh it looks cuter but then people are like you always look mean and then I clued in like oh when you never smile people think you're mad (laughs) that could be part of it too oh uh yeah that might be part of it but uh but I don't take myself too seriously and I don't think I'm a, I'm a big deal at all. So I uh, try to make fun of myself a lot. <laughs> good, good. But you know what? I have the same problem or issue or if it's a problem, I don't know, but I, I don't, I'm not a smiley guy. So people just think I'm, I'm mean or whatever sometimes too. So. Eh, yeah. I, I gravitate towards the unsmiley people. Oh, that's good. When that's when people are really smiling and happy, I'm like, I don't trust you. What's your deal? <laughs> what are you trying to get out of me? And then when no, people are quiet and like introverts and uh, unsmiley, I'm like, that's my jam. Those are my people. Yeah. So are you, would you consider yourself an extrovert or an introvert? No, introvert all the way. I don't even have friends that are extroverted. I have very few people in my life that are extroverts. I, huh. um, I find them very draining. I, uh, I don't like being around extra. I like being around extroverts for like a, a few minutes. Cause I'm like, Ooh, this is fun. Like, look, you're a very energetic person or whatever. Um, 
but then very quickly I'm like okay can I leave now like this is so much work um and I think some people get that mixed up with um people think introverts are like afraid to be in public or shy people or uh they just don't want to be around large crowds which I don't think is really true I, I the the definition I've always heard is where do you get your, your energy from? Do you recharge when you're alone or do you charge up when you're with people? And I very much need alone time to recharge like a lot. Like I like going out and hanging out with people. If I get like an hour of hanging out with people, I need like at least a day to recharge from that. Like it's very unbalanced of how much time I need to recharge for how much time I've uh, spent with people. Yeah. I, I can relate to that for sure. What about you? Oh, I'm, introverts? Introverts? I'm definitely an introvert. And, uh, but I did that Myers-Briggs thing. And, oh, uh, yeah. What'd you get? So I found that I'm like close to the middle on that. Oh, okay. I wrote down what my Myers-Briggs thing was. ISTF, ISFP is mine. ISFP. Is what my Myers-Briggs is. ISFP. And I don't remember introvert, sensing, feeling. Don't remember the last one. Huh. I'm like I the like, opposite. But you're introverted, aren't you? Yeah, well, that's the only thing. I'm I'm INTJ. Oh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, like I'm I'm kind of on that cusp of I definitely feel like I'm an introvert. I'm very quiet and people sometimes speak that for meanness or not liking them or whatever. Uh and I, you know, never been the popular dude, but like at the same time, I can get up and speak in front of a hundred people and, and be perfectly comfortable and I can schmooze and do all of that stuff. And, and, but it's like a mask. It's like a, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. You gotta like turn it on. Don't you? It's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it's like a phony thing. Cause I used to think, oh, well, am I being phony because I'm doing this, but I re really don't want to do this. But I don't know if it's as much a phony thing as it is just like a different part of you that you have to turn on. Like, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm good at talking to people and schmoozing and doing all that stuff, but I don't like it. <laughs> but I'm good at it. So I'll go, okay, now it's time to turn that part on and then I'll do it. And then, uh, and then I turn it off when I'm alone. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like there's a part of me that actually does enjoy it. But then as soon as I leave the place, I'm like, ah, like, it's, it's like, I gotta decompress. I got to do something to like get that out of my system or something. I don't know. It's weird. It's very weird. Yeah. Like yeah. a palate cleanser. Yeah. 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 So we kind of bypass this, but what exactly do you do? That's usually my first question. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, for, I do uh, I do a few different things um, in the arts industry or, or or otherwise. I just what I do for a living is a few different jobs. So I have worked for CBC Television, CBC Radio for many years, seventeen years, sixteen years. Can't remember. Um, and I've worked there part time since I graduated school. Uh, that's what I took in school: radio and television broadcasting. So oh. I. Uh, I got an internship at CBC in Halifax and then uh, stayed there as what they call, it's not really called part-time, it's called casual, which means you don't really have a contract, but you can get called in if they need you. If you need someone's on vacation or someone's sick, they can call you in. Um, so I do that job. Uh, I used to do that job as a, uh, as a shooter, a camera operator. 
uh, video editor and radio technician uh, for the news and local radio shows. Uh, so that's what I did for a long time. And even though that wasn't full time, that was uh, the thing that I would do the most. It would be the way that I would pay my bills. And then um, for a few years, I also on the side was a musician. So that wasn't paying my bills, but that was like really a big passion of mine. And I really loved doing it. And it was great because I used to be able to tour with my band because I didn't technically have a full-time job. So I would be able to tell CBC, um, hey, I'm going to be away for months. And they can't mm -hmm. really do anything. You don't need to ask for time off because you don't really have a job, you know? And then you just come back and I'd be like, okay, I'm back in town and call me if you need me. And then they would end up calling me and giving me shifts again. So it really worked out that way um, for a few years. And then that band that I was in called the Super Fantastics, uh, we ended our, our musical career. And then I, um, when I was with them, because I knew how to operate cameras and do video editing and that at the time, pre-smartphones and stuff, was something that not everybody, it's not a skill that everybody had the way right. that sort of everyone does have that now. So I took advantage of the fact that I had this skill and I would make music videos for the band and just no budget, you know, with a little camera and a little laptop editing software, um, make videos or like tour blogs of us when we were recording an album, I would videotape it and stuff like that. So that's how I sort of sparked my interest in, um, in directing because I didn't realize that I was directing. I thought I was just making videos for my band. Like we didn't have money or to hire anyone to do it. And at one point um, we, we send in one of our videos to much music and yeah. you had to like fill out the paperwork. And in the paperwork, it said, who's the director of the video. And I was like, oh, this is so embarrassing. Like you don't have one. And my bandmate, cause the Super Fantastics, Super Fantastics is a two piece. So my bandmate, uh, Matt McDonald, he was like, well, you're the director because you shot it and you edited it. And I was like, oh, and I just felt like such uh, imposter syndrome, you know, yeah. that term. I'm sure you talk about that a lot with this topic of your podcast. But like, so like such imposter syndrome to be like, well, I'm not a director. Like, it seems so silly to put my name on this under the title director in this paperwork. But like, you can't leave it empty. So I did it. Uh, and it aired on Munch Music and it had like, you know, how the videos would air and then the little text would be in the corner and it would say yeah. like the Super Fantastics and the name of the song and directed by. And, and cool. I was like, oh, like it was so kind of funny to be like, uh, do you see the fly? Yeah. There's that... a, there was a fly <laughs> walking back and forth on my cameras and it and I was like, oh, I don't want to take it off because it's kind of funny to see it like. I was wondering what that was. I did see it. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I'm going to leave it there and see if it joins us again. Um, yeah, so that that's how I kind of accidentally became a director because I was like, oh, I guess now I'm a director. So I, I, I started calling myself one and making more music videos for, for friends, bands and stuff. And then, um, and then you know, chain, uh, kind of like went uh, a little bit more serious and started writing uh, short films with dialogue. Music videos with dialogue is what I called them, short films. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and then from there, continued doing that stuff. So today I work mostly as a filmmaker and I still occasionally do music on the side. I still do some CBC work on the side and uh, that's what I do. Nice. So what, what do you do in music? Are you a, you a drummer? I'm a drummer, yeah. Okay, thought so. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, it's the coolest instrument, let's be honest. I mean, it's, it is kind of <laughs> yeah. Do you play music? Uh, so, no, technically. Um, my dad was in a band my, pretty much my whole life, though. Uh, he played keyboard. Okay. And 
So uh, my brother and I did piano lessons and uh, disappointed him and we didn't want to continue the legacy. But uh... <laughs> well, my dad played hockey and I didn't do that. Oh, well, so, you know, yeah. that's okay. There you go. <laughs> the opposite. I did the opposite of sports. My family are making a sports and then I went into art. Uh-huh. That's, a, that's the opposite of sports, isn't it? I don't know, because I do both. No, oh, okay. Uh-huh. Breaking, breaking, uh, yeah. breaking myths. Okay. All um, kinds of different parts of your brain. Yes. So what about She Machine? She Machine, yeah, that was a fun band. Um, so that was after the Super Fantastics. Mm-hmm. Um, Naomi Joy was my, it was another two-piece. I really like two pieces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can play with many more people than one. No, I... Uh, uh naomi joy was my bandmate there uh do you know naomi no uh she's since moved to toronto um but she was here working as she's an actor and and i met her th- in the film industry and then we uh started this little band together where i played drums and she was singing and we had like electronic sort of music recorded played back live we only played a couple shows and it, it was kind of a short-lived band but we did oh. make one music video that i directed that was really fun I was watching. This is my my favorite uh, my favorite movie of all time is Back to the Future. Um, Uh Pretty obsessed with that movie, so um, I did come up with this concept for this music video for us. So I should preface this by saying, like, if people don't know what She Machine is, and most people don't, (laughs) it was a band um, where we were sort of playing characters. Like it was very like '80s glam. Like we had like crazy makeup and like big crazy pink outfits and like different things. Like it was, it, we weren't playing ourselves really. Um, so I came up with this music video idea where we are drug dealers driving around in a DeLorean delivering drugs, but the drugs are just glitter. So you see people like doing lines of glitter and rolling it up and smoking glitter and and it's just really silly. And, and then the cops are after us and the cops are like sexy you know, cops with like cool outfits and like glitter on their back that say popo. And so we had a lot of fun with that. Um, and that was just like a self-funded throw it together in a couple of days with some friends sort of music video, right. which are kind of the best. It's kind of like the best of the best projects. I think they're kind of yeah. like throwing it together with your friends with no money. You know, everyone just like has pizza for lunch. I like paid pizza for everyone for lunch and then otherwise, and I rented this DeLorean there's a guy in town that has a DeLorean that he rents out. Crazy. So I got the yeah. DeLorean in there and I got to sit in, I didn't drive it, but I got to sit in a DeLorean, which was a pretty, which was a pretty big deal for me. But that was a really fun band. And like I said, it was pretty short-lived. Mm. I, I used to love the DeLorean back in the day. It's just a cool looking car. I heard yeah. that they're coming back and they're making them electric. Interesting. Yeah. That is but... my dream car, but I'm going to, I would have to make so much money for me to feel okay about spending money on the glory. And you know what I mean? I know it, it would it's have to like, be like that second car that you just got so much throwaway <laughs> money. You're like, yeah. 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 And it's like, at this point I like making, I'm very proud of myself that I've over the years made my life, what I want it to be. And when I say that, I mean, like I, through the years I make, I set goals for myself. Like, um, I live in a condo. I don't own the condo yet, but I pay a mortgage and it's not a big fancy condo, but it's a condo. And I'm very proud that I was able to get this. I was able to save for a down payment. And, and for the first few years I needed to have roommates in the the condo for me to pay my mortgage. And, um, and then a little, you know, a few years in, I was like, 
uh, nothing wrong with the roommates. They were great, but I wanted to live alone. I'm an introvert. I want to be alone. So I was like, if I could make enough money to pay my mortgage without roommate, you know, that was one goal. And then I hit that goal and I was like, okay, now if I can make enough money to buy a car, like, you know what I mean? Like I make like little goals for myself that I find kind of attainable, but also big ish goals. You Mm -hmm. know, I consider those pretty big goals. Um, And so that's kind of how I live my life. DeLorean is like really, really far down the road of like, okay, if, I make enough money to like buy two houses and then after I have those houses I have a couple I have a car and I was I paid off all my debts and I paid off all my friends and family's debts like yeah, you know yeah, what I mean yeah. I'd have to go so far for me to go then I'm gonna buy myself a DeLorean <laughs> um, <laughs> so it I, might not I, I hear you I'm kind of like that with uh with the Lamborghini I know we're not supposed to want that kind of stuff and, and like probably terrible for the environment and all that kind of stuff. But like the, the, the 10 year old in me is like, I want to, I want a Lamborghini, but I probably couldn't fit in it anyway. Were were you a big car guy? Like a kid as a kid, you were big in the cars. No, No. that was just something that you saw once when you were a kid and you're like someday. And that still sticks in your brain as like, yeah. Do you ever think that like you, do you have connections to like success in your brain that you thought when you were a kid? Absolutely. Yeah. I, find the, I, find, I find the idea of success so interesting because it means so many, it's like such a personal word, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is. I, and I think that it's important for us as creative people to revisit it regularly. And I kind of do that for myself probably every few years or so. And I'm like, Sometimes I'll find myself working very hard and then I have to question, what am I working for? What am I trying to get? Is money the motivation? I don't think so, but money gives me certain freedoms. So I want that to an extent, but like, for instance, my studio, like it's a small room, but I remember when I didn't have that at all and I just wanted a place where I could just do my work and Mm -hmm have privacy or whatever and now I'm like thinking okay how can I get a bigger studio but at the same time I'm like really proud that I got the one that I have so um, yeah I I guess I'm just always thinking like that and I'm kind of like you like I think my happiness would come from knowing that I can kind of work on various projects that make me happy in some level or fulfill me but then I can also say I I got a little bit closer to that thing my 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 weird success dream was just being a millionaire which is so obscure uh because it's like what does that really mean but that used to be my success meter and now it's like different it's not really about a specific dollar amount it's it's a lifestyle yeah. When was that your success dream? Was it like when you were a little kid or you mean like into your teens and twenties? Like how? Probably teens when I Recent. realized yeah. what a millionaire was and I was a dumbass who thought, Oh, I'll get to a million before 30. Like that's, you can do that. You just got to work hard and it'll happen. No, it does not happen for everybody. <laughs> that's interesting that that, that that's interesting that a, a number of a number of money of income was your mm-hmm. was your goal what what you consider success which I think is like well, I mean it's quite common I think when people say success I think a lot of people 
-hmm. immediately go to money or wealth or what that looks like material thing Mm -hmm. but yeah that's interesting to know like to figure out like where it comes from not like i have to get that far into your family background or anything but like i always wonder like you know maybe you're someone's parents or their relatives or something talked a lot about money and how important that was for stability or maybe that seeps into our brains or um or just society or just watching movies and tv shows and and especially for it's different for men and women too like men are are in society usually are rewarded if you have power and money and success right like in the end that considered success in that way and and women are tend to be rewarded when they have uh when they're attractive and when they're youthful and likable right those are like the things that you want society wants women to be this and men to be this and then when they both are they get together and they make a power couple you know exactly and it's so it's so silly that there's like these boxes that you have to be put into but uh of course you don't have to follow those rules and a lot of people don't i'm glad that but you know there 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 is that stereotype in in society for sure but i I think there's another stereotype is the one you you know it's not un un, uh common that you had this idea of like i'm going to be a millionaire because even if you didn't know like what that number even would look like, like maybe you didn't even know well, how much do I have to make a month to make, like even if you didn't know the logistics of it, it's like just the idea. People say that word. They say yeah. like millionaire, yeah. and it's like whoa, you right. know that guy's a millionaire. You know, it's just, it just has this like magic to that word, mm-hmm. and it sounds powerful. Yeah. And then you know when you're young and you want to make something of yourself, you're like, well, I want to be powerful and respected. And I know exactly. millionaires are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm old enough that I used to watch like lifestyles of the rich and famous, and and MTV Cribs, and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, that's what millionaires do, and that looks so cool. I want that for myself, right? Mm. Um, but then also, like, I grew up in Bermuda, so it's like my understanding of money is different on some level because it's weird, like working class folks are able to go on like European trips and all this kind of stuff from Bermuda, whereas that seems like something reserved for like richer folks. But then mm. like the rich people in Bermuda are like yacht owners or some crazy stuff like that. Like they're, they're just on another level. So yeah, uh, it, it was interesting because uh, like I think there was a point where the economy was just doing so well there that when I moved to Canada, it felt different. Um, it's that's all changed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like um, early 2000s, uh, I felt I felt like I was flying a little bit when I moved here. And then uh, yeah, had to had to revisit my my way of thinking of money. So I was recently listening to a few podcasts about burnout. Mm-hmm. The idea, the topic of burnout is very interesting to me right now because I've been dealing with a lot of um, anxiety the last few weeks, the last few months. And then like my entire life, I've never been somebody that had much anxiety. I didn't think of myself that way. I would have like maybe one panic attack a year. Mm-hmm. And so I knew what that was and it was scary and you feel like you're dying and it's it's all mental but you and you have this adrenaline running through your body and and you're fine you know it's a panic attack it's anxiety and everybody most people know what that is um but the last few months my anxiety has been rising like like crazy like it's happening every day and i can't figure out what the triggers are and then i experimented with some 
anxiety meds that went really, really bad for me. So like, I've been dealing with this a lot. So I've been now looking into what um, I thought maybe one of my triggers is that I was like overworked because I like tend to book myself to do a lot of things every day. Like I look at my calendar and it's several things a day and I'm like, maybe I'm overworked. And so I'm like listening to the stuff about burnout now. And I find that very interesting because we live in the society where working really hard is seen as a very valuable, you're a valuable member of society. If you work really hard yeah. um, and you're really valuable, if you work hard and you make a lot of money, right? Like it's, yeah. you can see your hard work materialize. That's a, you're a valuable person. If you don't want to work or if you want to stay home with the kids, or if you want to, if you're, you know, disabled and you, you know, you can't work or whatever, or you just choose not to mm-hmm. people are like, eh, you're not really, contributing to society like there's a judgment that goes along with that sometimes and uh and I was guilty of it too I would be like well that person doesn't work like they just like let their parents pay the rent or whatever and Mm -hmm. I would kind of look at those people and be like get your life together like get out and get a job you know and now I think I'm slowly starting to switch my thinking and I'm like what who cares Mm -hmm. so you want to live a happy life and you don't need to work like, what, why are we putting so much self-identity into what we do which, and self-esteem, which I think is very dangerous because as artists, but even if you're not artists, but especially as artists, if you identify as a filmmaker and that is your love and your passion and every single day you're working towards making your film and, you know, and then what happens when your film doesn't work out I or know, you right? do get made and it sucks. And you go, oh, shit, like, I don't know who I am. Now my value, if my film had gotten into the big film festival and all the critics loved it, I would be great right now. But because it got these bad reviews and no one wants to play it in their festivals, now I'm here. So now you're basing your self-worth and your self-esteem on exterior validation mm-hmm. that you have no control over. So yeah. I just think that is the most dangerous thing to do as artists. Um, so that we were talking about money here and this is why I started talking about burnout is because I was listening to a podcast of somebody who was, you know, he was a tenured professor and he, he uh, had this dream job and all this stuff. And he hate every day. He's like, Oh, I got to get up. And anyway, it turns out after months and months, what it was, it was, he was burnt out. And then he ended up quitting his job and couldn't be happier. And he was talking about how he used to be a parking attendant, you know, and, and people that tend to be in jobs that aren't quote unquote, dream jobs not usually considered someone's dream job like a parking lot attendant or someone who works at a grocery store or whatever um tend to be happier because they don't full put their full identity into the job and no one expects them to right but if you're uh, an artist or if you're a lawyer or if you're a professor you're proud of your job and you talk about it and it's a big part of your identity and people are like wow do you know that person's a that person's a big deal and so like other people uh, identify you with what you do and you identify you with what you do and it feels good when life's good and then when mm-hmm. the job sucks or you get fired or your movie doesn't do well then suddenly you're at the bottom you know bottom barrel or whatever so people that have these jobs that aren't no one expects you to love your job if you work at a call center then no one identifies you with your job and you don't identify with the job so you have this more rounded life and they tend to yeah. be happier people and I'm Stephanie. like, there's something to this. 
you're you are spitting my language right now i'm telling you <laughs> no it was a few months ago i said that to i can't remember who i said it to but i said to somebody like i think i was doing work in my yard or something and i was like you know what like there are parts of me that just wishes if this paid enough to pay the bills i just want to do this all day dig ditches bang rocks like i'm physical enough to do that i don't have to think someone just tells me go over there and hit that rock until it breaks and I'll be perfectly happy with that because it's like um you put so much creative energy and intellectual energy into designing something for a client or whatever and then the client doesn't get it or doesn't like it or it doesn't meet the expectation and then like you said all of a sudden your self-worth is like and Mm. then you you just feel like you feel horrible and you were on a high at first because you were so excited to show it and share it. And then people don't like it, don't buy it, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the, the movie sucks. And it's like, oh, damn it. What do I do? What do I do? How do I? And then the whole money thing comes in. So it's it, there's so many different layers that sometimes I just wish. like, And that's what I kind of missed about the, the high-flying economy days of, in Bermuda in the 90s. Because you could work a job like that and get paid a ton of money. And you didn't have to like um, stress yourself out about all of these other things as much. So if you could make more money at kind of smaller or less uh, luxurious jobs there at that time, what was societal status like? Societal status, well, for my parents at least and, and other folks, they were still pushing education because they were like you need to get a degree and you couldn't get above I think associate's degree was the highest you could get at Bermuda College so they were like you're going to Canada you're going to get a bachelor's degree and you're going to work you know there a lot of times people were pushing like the finance industry or insurance and stuff like that and then okay. come back and work for one of the insurance companies because uh, like my mom worked for AIG one of the big insurance companies and she saw the executives, so they're high flying. Uh, and that was like the goal to become some kind of executive in one of those those uh, corporate offices. Okay, so yeah. it was, it still had to do with money, even though the, okay. And, and, and like importance and sort of intelligence and education, that sort of. Yeah, to a, not to that a different degree. Thing. And then out here too yeah not not so much different yeah and I but I think too like my mom always made more money than my dad so for me I didn't have that gender um, paradigm mm-hmm. of the man has to be the one like my dad was the artist he was the, in a band and always out always partying doing his thing and she was like responsible at home making sure that ah <laughs> does that parallel in your in your adult <laughs> life now no uh but it did lead to a lot of resentment towards him uh, and oh, it made okay. me like want to be different as a father put it that way and different okay. as a husband but uh okay. i do and it's weird though the older i get i now understand him a lot more uh he just wanted yeah. to make when we become our parents age <laughs> yeah <kinda. laughs> yeah i i i got why he wanted his freedom so much and I just wouldn't have gone about it the same way that he did, I guess. But uh, yeah, I, I understand him a little bit better now. 
but it's yeah. it's um yeah he he actually opened for um who did he open for what oh. was the band he was he playing in a band here no in bermuda yeah. Uh, yeah. would, so I would maybe know who they are. Yeah, but like he anyway. If if there were a, le a rock right. legend or whatever that went to Bermuda, he he mm -hmm. opened for them. Basically. They would yeah, they would be the so, local openers. Yeah, so it was um, it was it was cool. It was cool to 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 learn that about him. But like, it's weird how you just end up realizing what you want is different than what you kind of started out with, and I think that's what happened to me when. Uh, academically, I, I wasn't able to keep up with the courses that would lead me to that industry. Art was what I was good at. I was always good at that and just kind of focused in that lane. And that led me to NASCAD and to Halifax. Cool. So, yeah. Cool. I, didn't, I don't know anything about your background. So you came to Halifax specifically to go to NASCAD. That's what got you here. That's what got me oh. here. Oh, nice. Indeed, indeed. You stayed. And I stayed, yeah. yeah. Halifax is nice. Halifax is nice. Uh, I, I was intending to go back to Bermuda. Didn't really have any opportunities there. And then uh, got a job here. Met a, met a nice Canadian girl and stayed. Nice. And uh, yeah. yeah, that's kind of how it went. So, and you're, you're still in Halifax. You're in Halifax. Mm -hmm. And you were raised yeah. in Halifax or are you from, you're from I Labrador? I was born... I was born and raised in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, oh. which is South, South Shore. It's about a three and a half drive from Halifax. Uh, I was born and raised there. My mother's from Labrador and uh, my, my whole side of that family are from Labrador and a lot of them still live there. Um, and then when I was a teenager, I did move with my grandmother. My maternal grandmother went, uh, was, had a big hand in raising me in Nova Scotia, but then her home was Labrador. So when I got, I don't think I was around 12 years old, she moved back to Labrador. When I was about 13, I moved with her and mm -hmm. stayed in Labrador for about a year and then came back to Nova Scotia. So uh, this has been, and then I have been living in Halifax for uh, over 15 years, close to 20 years now. Okay. Um, is that right? Yeah. So, uh, so Nova Scotia is definitely my home, but I do have a lot of family still in Labrador yeah okay okay so yeah. uh, how did you um how did you i don't know if this is getting too deep but like how, how did you can't get too deep <laughs> how too deep family... for me i love it oh okay all right um well you're getting me to say stuff i've never said on this show before you yeah you, see you are... this is what i like because I, I don't know about you, you do this stuff all the all the time. And I listen, you know, I briefly like clicked on a few of your episodes, so I, I don't know it deeply. Uh, but I just like, so many people talk about boring stuff. Like the, the thing that I find the most interesting is just like, tell me about your traumas. Tell me about your emotions. Tell me about your struggles. And like, <laughs> that's the stuff that I find is so interesting because I'm interested in like character and human beings. Mm -hmm. um and you know that's like anytime i've been on like the dating scene it's just so brutal i hate dating so much why because you would just be like hey nice to meet you yeah you want to order a drink sure so where'd you grow up how many siblings do you have Ugh. like i hate i hate it so much 
be like, who I wish you? I could. I wish it was. It was socially acceptable to be like, what's your most embarrassing memory that keeps you up at night? Like, I wish it was socially acceptable to just start there, but it's not. So you got to fit into society, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yes, what were you going to ask? I, I would like that actually. Um, I, I was gonna. So I lived with my maternal grandmother for a long time as well. How, did that Im- impact your you creatively and? Was there like some difficulty there for you? Specifically with my grandmother, my relationship or like, with my grandmother? like why you moved in with your grandmother and, and oh uh, yeah. Um right. So I was raised by a single father most mostly. Okay. Um so my mother wasn't really in the family after I was about seven. She sort of wasn't around. And then my dad raised me and my brother. And then um my grandmother so this is my maternal grandmother but it was like my dad and my mother's mother so my mother wasn't there if you can understand so she she lived right next door like we lived on the same lot like we had two houses right next to each other so she would be like you could my dad would work like several jobs you know in construction and stuff so he would be where you know you'd come home from school you would go to my nan's house and she would make you lunch or whatever like so yeah. she wasn't my mother but she had a very maternal role in my life um and then she moved away because she wanted to go back home which is her home of labrador and um she so she went back home and i was stuck with the boys with my dad and my brother who liked sports and i wanted to be in a band and i wanted to play guitar and i wanted to like I wasn't, I wasn't jiving with what they were, we weren't on the same page, you know, with what we were interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I wanted a little bit more like female energy or something around. So, uh, and my mother wasn't really in the picture. So I was like, well, maybe I'll move with my, um, maybe I'll move with my grandmother for a little while. So I went up to Labrador and moved up there, but then that didn't end up being like as fun as I thought <laughs> because <laughs> she was great and she just passed away recently a couple months ago and she's uh and that was very sad for me because she's she was such a big part of my life but um that so growing up in Yarmouth it's a very small town and I have to be careful what I it's not that I have to be careful what I say because I don't care about pissing people off but I guess what I mean is like I want I, I don't want to represent Yarmouth uh, I don't want to like misrepresent it because yeah. I think everyone like 10 people could grow up in the same hometown and have 10 completely different ideas of what that town is. Right. Like depending on what you're doing yeah. or what you're I feel the same way about Bermuda. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's probably a lot of people feel that way about their hometown, but yeah, for me, Yarmouth sucked. Like for <laughs> me, it was, there was nothing to do for me. Like also we were pretty poor. So it's not like we had classes to go to after school to take yeah dance classes or like there was nothing so it was like you go to school and then you come home if you're not playing sports there was nothing for for me like I took like one drama class once for a week and you know otherwise it was just and I was also like a weird kid so like I didn't want to fit in and so there was issues with like being bullied and like kind of not wanting to fit in so like alienating the other people in school for on purpose and like so it just wasn't a good place for kids to grow up in my experience the only Mm. thing there was to do is uh do drugs have sex get get high off anything you can find not only drugs drugs are expensive 
let's let's find some household products to get high off of like that sort of that sort of stuff was like how we passed the time or like we would be like hey there's this old uh, you know there's a cabin down here the the owners aren't here for the winter let's go break the windows in the cabin like that was fun you know so it was like stuff like that we did that (laughs) yeah i feel like it's not that that uh unique of a story but it's like a very like small town kind of bad kids kind of stuff to do which is a good segue into my movie night blooms um Um. which comes out because that movie is not based directly on my life i'm not saying it's that doesn't say it's based on a true story but is very heavily influenced by me and my life. (laughs) There are a lot of parallels. So this movie, Night Blooms, takes place in the 90s. The the protagonist is a 17-year-old girl. We don't say where the town is, but I totally based it on Yarmouth. (laughs) Like, small town, everyone knows each other, sort of. Uh, She's one of these kids her uh, uh and her best friend so the the protagonist's name is carly her best friend is laura they're 16 17 year old girls um you know they're they're piercing their own ears with a with a with an ice cube and they're Did smoking you do that? cigarettes yeah oh yeah they're all crooked too Jesus. <laughs> i also pierced my own eyebrows and i still have like a little dot i see it and for some reason, I pierced my eyebrow with a safety pin. And then when after it healed, it left as a dot. And people to this day still think it's a tattoo. They're like, do you have a dot tattoo <laughs> like on your face? Like, I wish. But I, but kind of kind of cool. Like kind of was like a prison pad or something. But yeah. I didn't go to prison. So. A 90s kid. I recognized what that was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So this, this is the movie. The movie takes place in the late nineties. And this is a, a she, uh, the protagonist Carly is very much like me. She's, she's in high school. She does not care about school. She wants to be a rock star, has no talent. She wants to, you know, starts a, starts a band with her friend, Laura. She cares way more about like what the band is going to wear than actually, she doesn't re- want to rehearse the music. That's not fun. So she talks about what should our straight stage pop props be? What should, uh, you know, so she, that that's was very much me. Like I used to sketch out pictures of me on stage and being like, maybe I should stand on the left side of the stage. And I like think really hard about where, and I'm like, I don't have any songs. But the music's talent. the last thing, yeah. <laughs> or know how to play an instrument. Yeah. And it's so embarrassing to like look back on and go, no, but that's who I was. So that's who this character in Night Blooms is as well. And um, and the kind of list of the story, what happens is she, uh, oh, also she gets high a lot off of air freshener and then hallucinates uh, kind of a best friend that starts following her around, telling her to do bad things, played by Mo Kenny. Don't know if you know Mo. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then what happens is she meets her friend Laura's dad. Her dad comes back into the picture, recently uh-huh. sober dad, played by Nick Stahl. Uh, and Carly's like, he's kind of cute. So she starts to seduce him and tries to start an affair with him. And he's like, I can't have sex with you. You're a teenager. That's bad. But, but do they? Right. Okay. Yeah, they definitely do. So they do. And then, um, and then it's just the world's all implode. Well, that's the movie. It's a very sad movie. It's not, oh. <laughs> it's not a great time. It's a, it's a, it's a, everybody kind of like is having a bad time in the movie sort of, but I, I tried to like um, make it as realistic as I could from my experiences 
doing similar things. Uh huh. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Um, so, as I'll, I'll put it in context of what I mean, as an artist, I've started to realize that um, I'm not necessarily, well, I've always been this way, but now I just embrace it differently. But a lot of the paintings that I want to make and that I have made recently are just ugly. And they're not, people have told me they're not ugly, but to me, they are because of the subject matter. And they are deep, dark, probably addressing all the shit that I'm dealing with right now and have in the past. Uh, mm -hmm. But I feel like it's an important story. And I think someone's going to connect with it. Is that kind of like how you feel when you make a, a film that is not necessarily going to come out all peaches and cream at the end? Um, well, I, I have, I lean into controversy for one. Uh, okay. And I don't really like, I'm not that interested in making art that feels safe. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's not really about alienating the audience or about trying to depress people, but I just find it more interesting to go to the dark places just because I think mm -hmm. that's, that's the place that a lot of people are afraid to go. So first off, I did hear advice years ago. I took a screenwriting class and the teacher in that class said, if you can go to a place of shame, you will really connect with people. So what are you shamed, shameful about? What do you feel shame about? And at the time, um, I, was, I was trying to write my first short film and I had an eating disorder and I had not told anyone I had an eating disorder. And then I said, well, I was thinking, what do I feel the most shame about? Uh, probably my eating disorder. And then I thought, well, I can't write a story about my eating disorder. I haven't even told anybody. And then I was like, but what if I do? So I did the exercise of writing it. And then I found it so freeing to be like, oh, hey, everyone, I have an eating disorder. Now I made a movie about it. And it's yeah. like, it gets, it removes the shame because it's like, and now it's out there. Like the shame I think is connected to like, what if people found out? What would they do? What would they say? Mm -hmm. And then as soon as you tell them, you take the, that power away. Yeah. That makes any sense. That's kind of how I feel. So I wrote Night Blooms when the Me Too movement started up. Me Too times up, that whole thing yeah. was happening. And I'm a feminist. And I'm very uh, pro all of that, like mm -hmm. predators being held accountable finally and, and women being heard, women being believed. Like I'm mm -hmm. very pro all of that. But um, at the time I was thinking back to, oh, I have this secret from my life. When I was a teenager, I slept with my best friend's dad. Mm -hmm. And I was like, now in my adult life, no one knows that. Mm -hmm. I haven't told that information to my new friends that I've made in my adult life. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, well, that's probably the thing I feel the most shame about right now. Make a film about it. Why don't I make a film about it at the time of Me Too, where it would be so easy to frame this as if he was a predator and I was a yeah. teenager and I didn't know what I was doing and that asshole, right? Like that would be the easiest thing to frame. It would be easy for people to swallow because mm -hmm. they would be like, oh, of course, you're, you're a teenager. Of course you didn't know what you were doing, poor thing. But the truth was I was really struggling with that 
because that's not how it went. I initiated it and it wasn't a one night stand. He was then my boyfriend. I moved in with him. Mm-hmm. I was 17 and 18 years old and he was in his 40s. And we had a year long relationship. And that's and more was, interesting. And it was seen as it was seen as controversial and like people didn't love it, but this yeah. was also the late 90s or early 2000s or whatever. So it was also it was at a time where it was like, eh, like yeah. now I kind of feel like now I kind of feel like it would be a bigger deal. It would you be, know what yeah. I mean? But yeah. then it was like, well, we don't love this, but whatever, she's young. Yeah. <laughs> whatever they're dating, I guess, you know. Um, so this the movie isn't a hundred percent about that. The movie is actually just she's seducing him and they sleep together once and then the whole their lives, you know, the, they everyone's made bad decisions and bad things have consequences, you know, they have to deal with the consequences of those bad decisions. So that's what the movie is about. But mm-hmm. but I was struggling with this idea because during the Me Too movement and me being a feminist, being like, yes, teenagers should not be seduced by older men. Like this is uh, I'm a hundred percent agree with this. However, yeah. when I was a teenager, I slept with an older man and I wanted to and I still look back and I go, no, I wasn't seduced. Like I wasn't manipulated. Mm-hmm. I knew what I was doing. So I was thinking, well, where does that story fit in my feminist pro me to today step? Where does this teenage steps to story fit? Because it seems like they contradict each other. But and they- then I was like, I don't know. Do they? I mean, so I made this movie and I was it was very important to me that I don't make it about he's a predator. And I can't make it about she's like a Lolita type that's like, yeah. oh, she's a villain that's 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 gonna do something terrible to this man. I wanted to make it as gray as possible. So mm-hmm. that and my goal is that people will watch the movie and some people will be like, you know, walking out of the movie and go, Oh, can you believe him? Disgusting. And then someone else would go, Him? What about her? He didn't do anything. She's the one that, you know, she's the one that yeah. ruined his life. And that that would be kind of the debate is just like you could really see it both ways um because i really think the gray area and those like shameful moments that people uh really don't want to touch on they don't want to talk about i feel like those moments are the most interesting and those that's the place where the humanity is i agree with you 100 percent. we live in a world where we try to make things so black and white that there there isn't as much <laughs> so i don't know I mean, I keep talking about this fool, but uh, the Kanye thing kind of reminds me of that on some level from from me, because I am a a black man, a father, husband, who struggled with mental health. I'm on medication for it. I'm dealing with a lot of the same uh, identities, I guess, and I'm an artist, so I have the same identities as him in a lot of different ways, and I've connect, I've related to him and defended him in the past, but I can't defend everything that he's doing. So it feels like criticism of him is a betrayal of, um, well, you know, the evil Kardashian empire. He's, uh, you know, the black man is the victim of the evil Kardashian empire. You can't like take their side. But like, for me, there's a gray area. Like there's a, there's wrong and wrong and right and right. And there are things I agree with on both sides, things I disagree with on both sides. And 
things I think are horrible all over. So um, how do you as an artist make commentary on on something like that? And it's, it's in that, I think I agree with you. I think that's where it becomes interesting, the debate of getting the audience to make the decision for them themselves rather than you necessarily. Telling them there. what to think, yeah. Yeah, that is interesting that you bring up Kanye because by the time this airs, who knows what he's doing? Who knows? <laughs> Changes every day. And, it's, yeah. and it's, it's, it's very entertaining for somebody who's not personally involved in his life. But I look at it and I go, oh, I'm sad for everybody, but also it's entertaining. It's um, entertaining, yeah. But he very openly talked about supporting Trump, which I am not a supporter of Trump, I should say. Mm -hmm. I think he's disgusting in many, many ways, but uh, and very dangerous. But uh, I do agree with part of Kanye's point where he's like, just because I'm liberal, just because I'm a black man that I have to vote for Hillary, like, wh why can't I support Trump? And it's just like, he's like, you're all telling me what I have to believe. Yeah. And I do agree with that point. I agree with it's it too. It's like, as I don't know if this is what you're getting to with, uh, with that, you, that what you just said about like, kind of like you were defending him and then it kind of feels mm -hmm. like a betrayal if you don't defend, because it's like, wh why do we have to like put ourselves in these boxes of like, oh, I'm woke. Therefore, I believe all of these things. Here's a list mm -hmm. of things I, then, I now have to believe or I'm a feminist. So I have to think this way about all of these things. Yeah. And as soon as you question one of them it's like oh does this make me a bad feminist or does it make me a bad is that not progressive enough or whatever so you have all of these uh the pendulum swings doesn't it it's like it used to be mm -hmm. like way on one side where it was like this is how it like <sighs> anyway it, it kind of feels like sometimes it, it's it's like life's our society is like moving in a better direction but sometimes it's like well are we going now too far into the other direction where every mm -hmm. single thing is tolerated, where you can't have one opinion that's a little bit different than everybody else's, yeah. or your it's it's not all black and white, and it, and it's just it's dangerous when anyone tries to put people in, in those two positions. I think. Yeah, I agree, and I I think that's where like I, I mean, as an artist, I just love to watch like it, I love to watch how this stuff plays out from a um, a human perspective, and because it just inspires my art. So I watch his fans and you're right. Like he'll, for every good point he makes, there's a bunch of bullshit just thrown in there. But the mm -hmm. people who are like blindly following him, they're just like, yeah, but he said this. So therefore everything yeah. else is factual and they're, they're not will. And then there are people who just disagree with him hundred percent and they don't want to hear any of the things that he said. Well, maybe that was actually a valid point. So yeah, mm -hmm. it, it's, 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 it's interesting. I do yeah. love controversy though. Like I will always lean towards if someone's doing something controversial, I'll oh, be like, messy? Yeah, what's this about? Well, it's, <laughs> uh, that's, you know, part of the, part of the thing with this, this movie Night Blooms is I, yeah. um, I hope it pisses people off. I really think if you don't oh, I love piss anyone off, then you're not making interesting art. You know, I really believe that. <laughs> But I should also say, I don't specifically go out to try. Like, I'm not just going to, like, say something racist or something just yeah, yeah, to yeah. piss people off. Like, I don't think that's interesting art either. If you're just being controversial just because you want someone to talk about you, I think that's kind of boring. But it's also, like, really boring 
especially here in Canada and on the East Coast of Canada, for us to be like, we are so nice. We never want to offend anybody. And what does that mean? Well, it means all of our art is very boring. <laughs> Middle of the road art. And then and when, when so personally, I, I like to try to um, do something that's just like, well, let's push the envelope in some direction that's might mm-hmm. might have i want some i want to have something to say but like if it pisses someone off in the meantime great like that really makes me happy yep i love it yeah i uh i i'm i'm, I'm on that too because bermuda is very conservative that way and uh i uh i i grew up with a lot of homophobia around me and then mm-hmm. one day i just made a shirt that was like don't worry be gay and was wearing it all around and it's like oh cool oh, people are going to think I'm gay because of it. Or, um, you know, people, I, I, I was just trolling. It was like, I was waiting. I was like, I wish a motherfucker would say something to me right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're kind of trying to get uh, the reaction. Yeah. No, I don't That's do cool. that. I would have tried to be friends with you in high school if I saw you wear that shirt. Yeah, I don't think you would have. I uh, wasn't that guy. Uh, <laughs> I respect the shirt though. I yeah. this is probably you can cut this out if you want, but that just reminded me when I was in high school, there was a rumor going around that I was a whore, and then I made a shirt that said "Fuck me, I'm a whore," and I wore it to school and I got suspended. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love it! I love it! I know I love that it. was pretty good. I was going to yeah. ask you what kind of a child you were, but I, I guess that. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I was I was I was a bad kid. I have a lot of respect for my parents now, but I was not very nice to them either. I was just like, I'll do what I want. Fuck you. You know, I was one of those kids. So um did you like always think the filmmaker okay? So I'm gonna give you a little bit of a compliment. I think filmmaking uh, on some level is like the ultimate art form. And I say that because it has so many things. I love music. Like I just got into this dude, Jim James or something from listening to Ozark, uh, watching Ozark. I'm like, man, just, you know, the earworm, like seeing the way the music kind of complements a certain scene or something like that's one thing. And then there might be something visual still in the background that's going on. And then you've got the moving imagery. Mm-hmm. You've got fashion, the color palette, color palette, like uh, wardrobe of each character. It's different wardrobe palette or whatever. Like, yeah, there are Baby a lot choices. of moving parts. There are a lot of moving parts to, uh, wait, you were getting at the compliment, the compliment for me. Was going to be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was going to be. How great I, I am say, because I get, to, yeah. I get to make all these things happen together and then I make a film out of them. Like, how um, do you do that with your super brain to, like, not freak out with all of those choices? I, uh, I, there are a lot of moving parts with film and it does seem like it has the most parts. Like, if you're a musician, of course, there are different instruments. Mm-hmm. You know, there are still different things that you have to do, but but it does seem like, film probably has the most moving parts and I often tell people that aren't in the aren't in the film industry I'm like there's usually room for you in the film industry are you good at organizing you could be an AD or a PA are you good at wardrobe you could come in a wardrobe department makeup department music department like there's so many there's so many different departments in film for artists um I personally told just go by my instinct 
Mm-hmm. Like I, I, uh, I, I don't overthink it. And that's not to say that like, I'm good. You know, I mean, you might watch my movie and be like, oh yeah, you should have thought more. <laughs> you didn't, you didn't have one. I think you're good. I saw some extra work. But, <laughs> but uh, I don't know how to do it other than that. Because for me, this is another part of a uh, conversation that I think is a good conversation to have with, your, with artists. It's like, who are you making this art for? I'm making it up for me and bonus if other people like it or hate it i'm really really bummed if people don't notice it and i would Mm. be very i would be much happier if you hated it than thought it was mediocre or didn't even know about my movie i I would so i'd much rather you like love it first choice second choice hate it and then unfortunately notice it um but (laughs) but i'm making it for me because I don't know how to make it for other people. Like that said, I have been, now that's not true because I've been hired. I've been a high, like director for hire where I'm doing something that I'm, I'm working for a client. Like they want this show to be done this way. And I'm like, okay, yeah. it's not my taste, but I'll do it. So I, I have done that. So I can do it. But like, but even within that framework, I'm still going with my instinct and going, okay, I'm making a cheesy TV movie. It's not usually what I would do, but now I'm doing it. I still think the dialogue doesn't sound realistic. I still think we should change this wardrobe. And I, so within the framework, I kind of know where I'm playing, but I still go with my instinct in there, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And often I don't know why. I will be like in the edit suite with an editor and, and I'll be like, you know what, we should t- remove this shot and then make the other shot twice as long. And she goes, why? And I go, I don't know. <laughs> but that's just what I feel like we should do. And I'm not always right. And we'll do it. And I'm like, never mind. That sucked. But a lot of time I go, oh yeah, that is better. And I don't know why. It's just the instinct of it just feels better. And I that's not a great answer, I guess, because how do you teach that? <laughs> how do you teach great instincts like Steph has? No, um, I guess the thing is, even if I am going with my instinct and making something that I don't like or in the end is like not a great movie or a great music video or whatever at least I am flexing the muscles of my artistic vision Mm -hmm. that's the way I see it is like would I be a better filmmaker if I studied it more probably also I don't watch a lot of movies or not people assume that I do and I don't so like maybe I'd be a better filmmaker if I watched more movies or if I took a class like a theory class or something but I'm not interested in doing any of that because what I want to do is like flex my taste my creative muscles as much as possible and then if the project sucks and I go oh well at least I tried to do it my way Mm -hmm. because the project's probably going to suck like that's another thing that artists don't get especially filmmakers don't get it's like the film's never going to be as good as it is in your head like everyone has an amazing movie in their head get it on the page. And if you're lucky enough to get a great script, like, oh my God, I wrote that amazing movie. Look how amazing it is on the page. It's still not, it's going to be way worse when you film it. Like at every stage, the movie gets worse, right? So like, then people make this movie at the end and go, well, this wasn't as good as it is in my head. And you're like, no, because in your head, you have good taste. And in real life, you have no skills. Mm-hmm. Which <laughs> is why- the skills to make a good so movie many, yet. Yeah, which is why so many shitty movies end up being made and people can't understand why. 
Uh, oh yeah because it's it's not as easy as it looks or people seem to think it is anyway it doesn't look easy to me <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's certainly at every stage there's something that could go wrong but yeah. but most filmmakers especially like up and coming you know emerging people is like you don't yet even have the skills to make it mm -hmm. and then you see hollywood movies where yeah everyone involved had the skills and it still sucks because the casting was awkward and the they, they had less shooting days than they thought or the mm -hmm. graphics person was really not on page with the with the special effects person so that didn't work together like a million things could go wrong even when yeah. everyone involved is really talented so you come around these parts <laughs> this part of the world where you you just cannot like competing with what's coming out of hollywood just might, makes no sense mm -hmm. i guess is so what i mean different. it's just like and i'm not not to say like not to say that we should judge I don't think we should go into like local movies and be like, oh, this is definitely going to suck. So like lower your expectations, not necessarily because there are some good movies out of here and some great filmmakers here. But like, I don't think we should be trying to make Hollywood light. I agree. That, does that make sense? Cool. I just didn't want to come across no. like, as if I was saying there are no good filmmakers here because there are. No. Yeah, I, I know what you're getting at. Um, and I think that that intuition bit that you made, you talked about an instinct is where the art is and that's the magic that of, of uh, what creative people do because okay for instance I used to think like drawing realistically was the pinnacle of artistic talent then I got went to NASCAD and met a whole bunch of people who could draw realistically I started to get pretty good at drawing realistically and I was like this is boring um, I don't want to spend the rest of my life trying to do this what's the magic in between? Like, where's this random thing that's telling me to put this other shape in here? What's this thing? These following that thing that makes what you're doing unique is what makes it interesting. And like you trying to compete, like you said, they got everything in Hollywood. You can't compete yeah. with that. But what they can't, they don't have your magic. They don't have your instinct. So yeah, that's where you- That's very true. Yeah, that's where you- Yeah. Them. That's where you beat them. You're totally right. And you're trying to do something original. Like everybody has an original story to tell. I think where, where I, what I was just saying a second ago, and I'm going to backpedal on it a little bit just because I don't want to come across as if I'm saying like the crew here sucks, but it's just like, it's because they don't, because I love crew, crew Nova Scotia, but because film has so many moving parts, even if you are the creative uh, idea behind that and you were original and unique, the idea of everything coming together to at the end making the equivalent of a Marvel movie is just it's just not possible out here. And it's not to say that the crew out here sucks or that the filmmakers out here suck, but it's just like I don't the, the, for me, the most disappointing thing is when I see a local film and I'm like, oh, you're trying to be that movie with this budget and this skill set. And it's just, and I think that's why Canadian films seem like watered down, uh, unoriginal sort of cheaper version of what the States is doing when I feel like we should just be doing our own original thing because we do have stuff to say. We have talented people here, but we're not going to be a blockbuster Hollywood movie. Does that make sense? Okay. I, I explain that makes myself, 100%. Right? I don't, I don't want to disrespect, <laughs> I don't want to disrespect the people no. around here. No, I, I, so as a come from away, that's something that I picked up on right away. 
I mean, and I grew up on American and Canadian television and you could tell right away, yeah. oh, this must be a Canadian show. Um, and it's not to diss because I couldn't do better and they definitely weren't doing better in Bermuda, but like there was a difference. And, but then yeah. you see a, a show like Schitt's Creek or, you know, some of the other things that are coming out and it's like, they just kind of leaned into their own thing without necessarily trying to like be something else. And they yeah magic. and that works and there are definitely there's stuff from this area that definitely is unique to canada that works that i think yeah i think we should lean into that more mm-hmm. but anyway i spend i don't spend much time thinking about what else what i think artists in canada should do i spend more time thinking about myself <laughs> 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 yeah so how do you differentiate between like a film, a television show or a documentary, or is it your process not really much different? Oh yeah. Well, I guess it's different depending on if it's, if it's a for hire gig, then someone can come to me with a script or with, uh, with a project. I do a lot of documentary stuff that I get hired to do documentary stuff more than other, like more than like dramatic stuff or narrative stuff. Um, so if, someone comes to me like we have this series we want you to direct an episode of the series or we have this idea for this doc we want you to direct it um yeah I think at every stage and then I guess kind of the same answer but at every stage I just go with my instinct of what I think the story should be sometimes Mm -hmm. I'll ask them I'll just be like so kind of what's the point like what are you trying to say that okay no problem and then I can run with it and be like okay let's try to tell that story through this lens I think with directing your you're mostly dealing with a lot of personalities all the day. So (laughs) you would have to be like able to be nice and respectful to crew, cast, the subject of your interview or the actors in your movie or whatever it is. Um, You have to be nice and respectful to them, but not a pushover because you have to let everyone know that you're the boss, but, not just like an egotistical like everyone has to listen to me thing because I don't think that leadership sort of works so you have to balance the different like how do I make everyone happy and I make everyone do what I want and everyone has a different personality type Mm -hmm. I really think that's the job of a director Mm -hmm. do you find that harder to enforce as an indigenous woman in the industry do you find that I think definitely as I think women have to tiptoe around that line of like more than men do of being like, if you're too bossy, it's, it's like, Oh, you're being a bitch. Right. Or it's like, I roll because she's yelling or something. And I've never Mm -hmm. yelled on set by the way, but like if someone was angry or, or upset about something, it's like, Oh, if a woman gets like that, if a man gets like that, it's like, yeah, he's, powerful is the boss like I've I've seen it a million times I feel like we've all seen that double standard so um so I think as navigating life as as a woman it's just something that I have adapted to throughout my life like I've sort of Mm -hmm. just figured out how to try to talk to people and try to get my way with also trying to seem likable and I wish I didn't have to do that but I do that is the approach I take um 
And as far as uh, being indigenous, I feel like that's lately something that's very much uh, a plus, especially when somebody wants that perspective on set. Like we're telling an indigenous story, we think you know you would be the right person to tell it for this reason. And then I feel like I sort of can hold a little bit more weight with like, well, here's how I feel about that from the perspective of, of an indigenous person. Um, and people will usually not question that part. So in a weird way, it feels like I have like a little bit more power there, um, yeah. but not, yeah. I don't know if that answered the question. Black Lives Matter did that for me a little bit too, so I get it. <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah. you. We, we want your perspective as a black man. And you're like, okay, here's my perspective. And he goes, okay, we, we believe you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we don't want to question <laughs> you or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. What's your life experience like? And then you tell them and they go, sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I've never been a black man. So I, well, I will believe you when you tell me, you know. Yeah. 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 Uh, sometimes it's frustrating. They don't always want to listen, but I've had way more times where they're just like, they just clam up and they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Thank, thank you for that input. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Oh yeah. Well, people are very awkward with people don't know what to do. Yeah. People don't, you know, people don't know how to handle anything and it's people don't want to offend and, yeah. and they, people is, it's awkward for people and they don't know what to say or how to react. And yeah. That's yeah. So uh, we're going to wrap it up. I have a couple more questions. Sure. You said you're not really into films that much, but no. So I'm going to ask you, what are you listening to right now? So I have been putting together a show. Okay, so my movie comes out April 8th. It's going to yeah. be in the theaters in Halifax at Cineplex Park Lane for a week. So April 8th is the Friday. So that opening weekend, April 10th, which yeah. is the Sunday of opening weekend, I'm putting on a show. It's going to be at Seahorse be free if you have a if you went to the movie you can just get into the show for free it's cool. it's like an after party but i'm playing drums in a cover band and we're putting together like a short set like 25 minutes of yeah. songs that are all from the 90s which is the era that the movie takes place in <laughs> nice so i have been listening to a lot of whole bikini kill like l7 like this is the stuff on the playlist okay. riot girl grunge kind of era uh stuff and then last night i was just putting together like a long nine years playlist because we're gonna we're gonna do like our 25 minute set and then we're just all gonna be hanging out with the cast and crew and like whoever wants to come public cool. anyone can come and so we're just gonna have like a nine i'm gonna just play my 90s playlist over the speaker for the rest of the night and I, I, i'm trying to figure out what else to do i think i'm gonna have like a photo booth with me kind of like 90s props and i'm also i think going to order 90s snacks so i'm okay. on i'm on amazon like looking for like different <laughs> 90s snacks. like there's like dunkaroos and um and there's like like double bubble gum for roll-ups for roll-ups was one because i was like googling i was like what are the most 90s you know and i because it's so easy to forget about these things and then i'll find them online uh, and i'll be like oh yeah i remember that yeah. um so i yes to answer your question i've been listening to a lot of 90s stuff but you know, Nirvana is my favorite band of all time, so I'm always listening to one Nirvana. Um, and then, as far as like new stuff, 
Oh, uh, and it's not that new, but um, Lil Nas X, the oh. uh, the the new album, like mm-hmm. the one with the history baby on it. Oof, good album. I love that album. I'm scrolling through my music right now. Um, yeah, that album was really good. Nice. That's the nice. kind of new thing I've been listening to lately. Cool. You know what? I, I, something else I wanted to know about the movie thing distribution how do you do that part of it or do you even have to think about it is that a producer's issue yeah that's a producer's thing and i i do produce sometimes as well but i on this movie night blooms i'm not a producer and and mark mark tetro and jason levangi are the two producers and they're both great uh Mm. great people that have done a great job so far and and uh so they have they found a distribution company and that company kind of deals with all that and i don't know much about it uh Okay, cool. And um, if there was any piece of advice, what would you give to people? People that want to be film filmmakers specifically. Yeah. Um, I touched on this a little earlier, but if you want to make film, like film is being a filmmaker is one of the hardest things. Like you can't really practice that in your bedroom unless you're doing like stop motion animation or something, you can do that by yourself in your room. But like, you can't, you can practice writing alone in your bedroom and you can become a better writer if you're writing scripts. But as far as directing, you can't do that. So like the only way to build your skill set is to like anything, any skill set is to do it over and over until you get better at it. Um, And if you get a chance to direct once a year, once or twice a year you're, you're lucky if you get that you know what i mean like it's it's mm-hmm. so rare that you get the chance to kind of work on those chops to become a better director so my advice for filmmakers is just like just to go out and make stuff like make stuff on the weekends with your friends with no money just go do it over and over and over again because you probably have a great movie in your head and if you think you're going to get on set the first time and you're first time you've ever directed you're gonna get on set and you're gonna make that movie that is, exists in your head like it's going it's going to be so disappointing um so you're not going to be able to do that unless you build your skill set so just go build it like and i think a lot of people are afraid in any art form you probably can agree oh, so many people are afraid of failure absolutely give me a break so many people are like oh but what if i try and it sucks okay it will it will suck yeah it will suck <laughs> and it's okay. go out and okay. make all the shitty ones now yeah and then you'll eventually make good ones maybe you might make some of sucks for the rest of your life i don't know if i've made a good movie yet and i've been working along quite a few years but it's like you're definitely not going to make something good if you're not working at like your only chance is going to be if you fail a lot first so that's my biggest thing. Fail? What's the uh, saying? Fail often, fail hard. Uh, I don't know. There's a saying about yeah. it. Just go out and fail a lot over and over and do it and do it for do it in public. Do it so everyone can see how shitty you're being and how like how shitty your art is and just be like, look, this sucks and this sucks and this sucks, but one of these is gonna be great. And like so many people don't dare to do that. And then yeah. they look at other people that do and they eye roll or they make fun. Oh, cringe. They yeah. do this like cringe, this person. And I'm like, so let them cringe. Yeah. Like, why? Who cares? You're going to be dead soon. None of this matters. Just go and make your art and do what you want and suck at it. <laughs> Seriously, though, like, 
seriously one life like just well depending on what your belief system is uh just yeah. do I, b- I believe we get one life and we got what a really <laughs> short life and if we're lucky we can make some art while we're here so yeah. why be afraid of making art that sucks because like it will suck for a while yeah fuck what people think really yeah, uh, okay well it's interesting that you said uh about not being sure if you made good movie uh movies because i'm i'm of the belief that once you put it out there it's kind of out, outside of your control of whether it's actually you can believe that it's good but like mm-hmm. whether other people you know find it good or get what you're trying to communicate yeah. from it that's a whole lot of things like it's it's it belongs to the public once it's once it's out there the yeah. audience it's uh it's, it's hard sometimes to do that yeah well that's another reason why you shouldn't validate yourself based you shouldn't base your self-worth on exterior validation no nope, because as nope, soon if you put something out there and you're waiting and going do they like yeah. me do they like me like what they say no you're, you're gonna you're not gonna be a very happy person if you're waiting around for the feedback every time you put out art so you gotta go i mean they aren't and i know what i think about it it sucks or it doesn't suck or it's pretty good or i actually did this better this time and i'm proud of that that part or like focus on this thing you're proud of or just the fact that you did it like mm-hmm. i'll applaud anyone who makes a movie even if it's the worst movie in the world i don't care it's great no hard is yeah. make a movie just i'm happy if anyone does so like be proud of yourself for doing it and then and then once it's out there just try not to think about it like I've never read a review of any of my stuff. I don't. I don't read comments and like I read stuff on my like my own social media. If someone yeah. messages me, I'll say you know I'll read that. But like I've never gone through and scrolled through the comment section of like a mm-hmm. YouTube video or something that I've done because I'm like I don't. Why would I do that? Like uh-huh. I barely care about what the people I what the people I love in my life, I barely care what they think of me. I definitely don't care what these strangers think. <laughs> so I'm no like, why would, I spend my, <laughs> why would I spend my energy like looking through all these strangers talking about whether my whether or not my art's good? It's like, I don't care. I don't even know who you are. I don't know what your taste is. Yeah. So why would I care if you like my art or not? It's subjective. Oh, that's so much. Please like my movie. No, just kidding. Yes. <laughs> but I but please come out to my movie. Do not have to like it. But in April, April 8th in Halifax. I hope people come out. April 8th, Halifax. And it's um which which theater again? It's Park Lane in Halifax. Park Lane. Park Lane in yeah. Halifax. Eight. So it starts eight, on the eighth eight. and it plays for a week. So if you come out opening weekend, awesome. And then come to the party on April 10th, everybody. Yeah. Dope, dope, dope. I feel like I could talk to you all day. I actually wanted to talk about the Snoop thing, but uh I won't get into that. Oh uh, yeah, I have talked about that before on podcasts <laughs> and stuff. But yeah. Eh, what boring. Boring. Yes. So it was nice to meet you. Yeah, it was nice talking to you and thank you for for having me on your podcast. Yes, thank you for being cool about it. And uh I'm still intimidated, but uh okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Art Page. Thank you to Langy Beats for the theme music. You can find more of his music on YouTube. If you got anything out of this, please rate review or leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening you can find out more about art pays me at artpaysme.com or you can hit me up on twitter instagram facebook and clubhouse i'm at art pays me on all of those platforms with that we're out
Peace.